I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just can't keep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the helm have lied to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to fold it in. And welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Tonight, guys, we got a current event type show. Um... And that's one of the things I'll talk about here in a minute. But let me just, uh, anybody that's looking for Great Deception podcast gear, hoodies are great. Uh, we got t-shirts. We got all sorts of stuff out there. Uh, go check it out in the Shop Spring or Teespring shop. Link is in the description. Um, just something to remind you all. I know I've had a couple people ask me about merch and stuff like that because I don't really promote it that much. So. Yeah, there is a there is a shop. Go check out my sh in the show notes. You'll find a link to it. So go check it out, guys. Anybody that wants to help out the show uh, in a non monetary monetarily way is uh, uh, reviews. Both Spotify and Apple allow you to review the show. I appreciate all the reviews. Any of them that I get to see, and sometimes apple's tricky with these because like the review i have here i only the only way i found out was through an email from a different program so if i go to my apple uh, reviews this one does not show up so i don't know what they're doing i've never been able to figure that out there's no way to look at like all of them all that stuff so it is what it is but guys if you want to Again, like, share, leave a review, get it out there. You hear it over and over again. It gets you in the algorithm. It gets us shared. And that way, more people have the opportunity to hear the show. So this says, uh, praise God and all glory be to him. You are a vessel. And it's uh, for the will of God, Matt. God bless you and your family. And we pray for blessings to you and your ministry in uncovering the truth for all those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. We all have a part to play in this epic time. What a time to be alive. I'm looking forward to your commentary on, and then it cut off, which drove me nuts. 
So, uh, Margin Jared, thank you very much. And I'm still trying to find the full review, but guys, little things like that go a long way. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I've had people ask me about this too, is, is old world stuff. Uh, I'm kind of taking a break from the old world stuff right now. Um, I've kind of lost a little interest since my buddy Matt, uh, uh, had is going through some stuff and we've done a lot of old world stuff together and uh, I'm kind of waiting for him to come back and when he comes back I will uh, be getting back into it with him and that should spark me and a little interest to get back into it now the other reason why I haven't been into it lately is there's a lot of bullshit out there guys and it's it's really frustrating to look at some of these you know old world people who you know, I, I had some respect for are out there pushing these garbage stories, AI images, AI videos, and it's it's frustrating because it, it ruins the credibility of all the people who do good work to sully it with this nonsense that's obviously fake AI stuff. And it doesn't take more than one Google search to find out these pictures are fake. Do a little work before you start posting this stuff because it's just getting, it's getting ridiculous out there. I see so many people posting fake shit and swearing it's legitimate. And it's like, it's just bad for the narrative. Dude, do better. Dig deeper. Go to some books rather than sitting on Telegram and just picking all of the pictures off of there and, and running with it. Okay, pull the pictures, reverse image search at least, and find a source. Make sure it's, it's you know, legitimate. I, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm over it. And, and so, you know, that's kind of put a bad taste in my mouth with the old world right now too. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking a pause on it. Plus, there's just so much madness going on right now and so much deception that's being pulled in the current times that I kind of feel like I have to expose some of that stuff too with some current events and things like that. And that's tonight's kind of a mix of that. It's like current event. Well, it definitely has current events to it, but it also goes back and shows the evolution of the progress of their plan. So with that said, guys, if you want to support the show, leave a review, share, like. You can go to patreon.com slash the Great Deception Podcast. You can go over there. I have probably about 70 books by now, all older books in there. I'm starting now to put some older documentaries and and real old videos that I've I've accumulated over the years in there too. Um, and I have a little poll out there uh right now for what the next video series I'm gonna uh, put out there for people to watch. They're not mine. They're other people's and I'm, I'm sharing them with everybody. So uh, just kind of diversifying between the books, the videos and, and other stuff. We're, we're trying to mix it up on the Patreon over there. So go check that out. With that said, let's get to the show. And what we're looking at tonight is what I'm calling the acronym war, the road to tyranny. And you hear anybody that listens to the Wicked Planet will hear them talk about the tiptoe to tyranny, and that that's what they do. They they're not going to come in, you know, full guns ablazing and just strong arm you 
right into stuff. They're going to gradually ease it in. And although it may be uncomfortable, they're going to make it feel comfortable for you. And we saw them do it with COVID. So many people accepted that as normal, as okay, as just the way it is. And that's what they're doing with these things, these, these acronyms. They're, they use you know, letters to confuse you. They use the name. Even the names are a lot of the times inversion of what they're really doing with the agenda. I mean, look at a lot of the bills that pass. You know, the Patriot Act comes to mind. There's nothing patriotic about that, right? There, there's so many of these acts that they put in there, and it's just the exact opposite is what is the real policy. And that's what we're going to see here tonight. This is a way for them to tighten their grip on control and to ultimately control everything like they want to, <laughs> right? They just want us... Klaus Schwab has said it over and over again. You will own nothing and you will like it. And one of the things we'll get into in in some further shows down the road, and and one of the ways they're illustrating this and, and acting on it, is look at the housing market. They are buying up large percentages of the housing market to, with no intention of, of reselling these places right now. They're just going to sit on them. And, you know, we're seeing that. The prices are just escalating on everything. I mean, whether it's it's repair work, parts, food, gas, you name it. I mean, heating fuel for your homes, electricity rates, everything is just astronomically through the roof. And we see these astronomical increases, yet the rate of, of pay increases of most people is not increasing nearly as exponentially. And that's going to cause major problems down the road. One, from a personal standpoint, but two, the, the dollar is just so inflated right now that it has to burst at some point. I mean, it, it's... We're not going to get to the point in Germany, hopefully, where you need a wheelbarrow for money for a loaf of bread. But, I mean, it's just comical what they're doing by just, you know, every crisis. We'll just print more. And that's just digging us deeper and deeper in. But that's a whole different part of the agenda. But what this is, this is these these concepts they've created, right? And now this is a combination of groups that we're talking about here that want to run it. But, at, you know, when it all boils down to it, you go back to the the top of this little pyramid scheme that we're in, and it's the same people. It's the same hedge funds. It's the same capital owners. It's the same black hats. Same parasites are all running these schemes on humanity. And, and you know, you look at some of them and the altruism is there. They have good intention in some of them, but the others are just nonsense. It's just uh, social justice nonsense. It's dumbing down society, um, eliminating competition, uh, uh, and, and illogical policies in a, in a lot of this stuff too. It just it doesn't seem to benefit you or I. It seems to benefit the elites, 
not I, I don't even like to use the word elites the upper class the parasite class because elite gives them some sort of status okay so first one we're going to look at and let me go through what we're going to look at we're going to at dei right we're going to look at esg we're looking at SDG, otherwise known as Agenda 2030 from the UN. And we're going to look at CBDCs, the new hot button and the ultimate grip by the parasite class on humanity will be CBDC. And that is the, the one foot in the grave, so to speak, for freedom, humanity, life as we know it. So when we get to the end, CBDCs, man, listen up. This is some scary shit. So what are we looking at here? We are looking at DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Sounds good. Like, right, yeah, you should be diverse. You should equity, you know, equal, equality. Now there's that's the difference, though, equity and equality and inclusion. Sure. We should all be inclusive, right? There's no reason why we should exclude anyone for no reason. It refers to organizational frameworks which seek to promote the fair treatment and full participation of all people. Sounds good. Particularly groups who have historically been underrepresented or subject to discrimination, all right, on the basis of identity or disability. These three notions, diversity, equity, and inclusion, together represent three closely linked values which organizations seek to institutionalize through the DEI frameworks. Okay, and this isn't anything new. This uh, plan started in the mid-60s with like workplace diversity training. Okay, and it says in the mid-60s following the introduction of equal employment laws and affirmative action. So you had these policies being put in place to try and, you know, level out the playing field, so to speak, because it had been a, you know, white male dominated workforce for a long time. <laughs> Over the past few decades, DEI has ballooned into a massive industry, though, projected to reach a value of 15.4 billion by 2026. Okay, so now let's look at these factors. Diversity. It acknowledges all the ways people differ. Race, sex, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, socioeconomic status, religious beliefs, and more. Uh, inclusion is about diversity in practice. It's the act of welcoming, supporting, respecting, and valuing all individuals or groups. Okay, Equity. It's often used interchangeably with equality, but there's a core difference, like I said, where equality is a system which each individual is offered the same opportunities regardless of, of circumstance, equity distributes the resources based on needs. We live in a disproportionate society and equity tries to correct its imbalance by creating more opportunities for people who have historically had less access. Now, on the surface, that sounds good, but that's where you get into a lot of trouble because it's unnatural, right? We live in a disproportionate society. We They're trying to unnaturally correct its imbalance, and this is where they go wrong. 
along and so here they have diversity of people and perspectives now if that were true it would be great the problem is they're looking for diversity of physical features and characteristics like race gender age sexual orientation disability socioeconomic status religious beliefs but you have to have the same perspective that's where this i have a major problem with it because there's no diversity of thought here that's bullshit i mean i know from experience in my corporate workplace that there is no diversity of thought you are not allowed to have certain opinions in in my job because of this stuff here so now there's two other terms belonging it infers that an equitable equitable structure is in place and functioning to make all people no matter their difference feel welcome well this th there's a major problem with this who gives a shit about your feelings it doesn't your feelings don't matter whether you feel welcomed or not that's on you i cannot change that it's not my responsibility to change the way that you feel that's on you okay and they go on to say when you reach for equity you're striving for a system that benefits everyone no matter their circumstance and this is bullshit there's that doesn't exist that's a fantasy land belonging is when this not only works but one but no one feels as if their inclusion is questioned this is nonsense guys it's all about feelings feelings should not matter whatsoever it's it's so stupid and mindless and illogical to worry about feelings equity diversity inclusion all mean different things but interact with and rely on one another equity is the goal of diversity and inclusion but it's not what happens okay now let's look at their definition of justice justice is the mission of equity in which an equitable system works so well it eventually eliminates the systemic problems driving the need for the latter in other words everything is fairly and evenly distributed to people no matter their race gender physical ability or other personal circumstances that is communism <laughs> that that is flat out just communism okay everyone is equal no matter what that's bullshit guys that's not how the world works unfortunately in a perfect world yes maybe but not here not today and not in this system and not with the way people are today that's another major problem because people become so dependent on the system and the system just swallows you up where diversity and uh inclusion focuses on making all groups feel welcome dei also addresses the system uh, systemic ways of to access to things such as education food the web and more are unequally distributed okay yeah we know that and we know that these people that are making up and meeting in all these groups if they really wanted to solve things like education food the web they could do it instantly 
They have the money. They have the power to do it. They don't want to do it. What is this? This is another way to push society in a certain direction, a mentality in your head to think a certain way. And if you don't, you're out of the club. You're not included. This is the opposite of inclusion. It's inclusive until you think differently, then you're excluded, ostracized. Okay. Diversity refers to who is represented in the workforce. Okay. Gender diversity, what makes up the composition of men, women, and non binary people in a given population? Age diversity, are people in a group mostly of one generation or is it a mix of ages? Ethnic diversity, do people share a common national, a cultural tradition, so they represent different backgrounds? Now, here's my thing. Okay. What if you run a business? <laughs> Like a Mexican business. What if you run a Mexican restaurant? I think I would want all people that are familiar with that. Now, I don't give a shit what culture or tradition they're from. I'd prefer they be Mexican. But if they are American and have, have you know, lived part of their life in Mexico and, and learned there, I want them to. So this... I, I again, this is more of we're we're splitting hairs here. It's another way to nitpick, to divide and conquer, to fight in fighting, to distract us from the real problems that we have. Okay, physical ability and neurodiversity are the perspectives of people with disabilities, whether apparent or not, accounted for. Nobel Prize winner Richard Thaler touches on uh, this in an interview with McKinsey on debiasing the corporation. There's lots of talks about diversity these days. We tend to think about it in terms of like racial diversity and gender diversity and ethnic diversity. Those things are all important, but it's also important to have diversity in how people think. And that's where he nails it. And that's what I'm going to keep reiterating here. This isn't about diversity of thought. This is about diversity of the physical traits, attributes of people. Okay, so when equality assumes that all people are treated the same, equity takes into consideration a person's unique circumstances, like we talked about, okay? Adjusting treatment accordingly so that the end result is equal. Okay, so they're saying with this, guys, and this is one that, you have to understand fails and is a big steaming pile of shit because they want equality of outcome. And that's not possible to have quality represented and have equality of outcome because what they're looking at is to say, okay, and, and IBM is a great example of this. They, they were caught on mic talking about how they need X percentage of black managers. They need X percentage of women managers. Well, what if you're just hiring those numbers to meet those standards, but those people aren't qualified, but you need to meet those numbers. So you're going to lower your qualifications to meet that number. And that's where the problem lies is that it's not a merit meritocracy anymore it's not a merit-based system it's not what you do what experience you have so much as the color of your skin where you like to put your privates what you like to dress up as on the weekend or you know what your pronouns are all nonsense feelings 
emotional garbage when it comes to reality. All right. Now let's get to inclusion. Inclusion refers to how the workforce experiences the workplace and the degree to which organizations embrace all employees and enable them in make meaningful contributions. Uh, companies that are intent on recruiting diverse workforce must also strive to develop a sufficiently inclusive culture such that all employees feel their voices will be heard. Critical if organizations want to retain their talent and unlock their diverse workforce. In an episode of McKinsey Talent Talks podcast on the inclusive workplace, McKinsey partner and DEI expert Diana Ellsworth shared an example of how lack of inclusion can manifest into workplace culture. Oh, here we go. Listen to the propaganda. The LGBTQ plus community uh, is underrepresented in the workplace, especially at more senior levels. As a result, many feel like an only at work and are uh, more likely to experience microaggressions. Again, feelings. They might feel unable to talk openly and comfortably about themselves because nobody wants to hear about where you're sticking your dick at work. That's why. When did sexuality become something that we had to observe at work? Why is what you do in the bedroom something that matters in your corporate standing? And I have to address it at my workplace. It shouldn't be. It's nonsense. It's feelings. It's bullshit. They need to constantly to correct assumptions about their personal lives. Guys, here's the other thing. You're not that important. I hate to break it to you. Nobody gives a shit. Most of these people are so unimportant that they stir shit up just so that they have something in their life because otherwise they have nothing. Okay, this underrepresented bullshit. What percentage of people in this world are LGBTQ plus? What percentage? Extremely low. Extremely low. And if it wasn't for the recent balloon in nonsense land over the last three years, that number would be even lower. And guess what? I guarantee you there's plenty of CEOs that are into some funky shit at night. The problem is they're just not dressing up like a furry to work or dyeing their hair green or purple and pretending to be a dinosaur. They're grown-ass grown adults. And when it comes to business, they're all business. And then what they do after hours, they do after hours. And I guarantee you there's a lot of sick fucks. These, the, these CEOs, a lot of them are power bottoms when they get out because they're, they just want somebody to tell them what to do because they're bossed around all day. All right, so I don't want to hear about this misunderrepresented. It doesn't represent the the population. That's that's just nonsense. All of it. All right, let's listen to Johns Hopkins. Right, <laughs> their DEI officer labeled white males, Christians, cisgenders, English speaking people as privileged. 
Check this out. Here we go. Last week, Johns Hopkins Medical School sent out the most ridiculous list of privileges in an email sent to all of the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion employees. Privilege was identified as the word of the month and listed in this email are certain privileges, unearned benefits given to people who are in a specific social group, providing advantages to members of the dominant group at the expense of others. On this list are white people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people. What does owning class even mean? Middle-aged people or English-speaking people. I guess none of the things on this list should actually surprise me, but this is going out to people who are training the future doctors of America at the most competitive medical school in America. The list went super viral immediately, and the woman who ended up sending out the email, who is the head of DEI, almost immediately ended up retracting the list had to send out a whole email to the medical school community and said the newsletter included a definition of the word privilege which upon reflection I deeply regret newsflash these people don't regret anything they're just realizing that thanks to social media their insane antics specifically designed so hatred in the hearts of americans are being exposed long gone are the days where we're supposed to be building a future based on the content of our character rather than the color of our skin bingo right character that's what we lack these days the majority of people lack character. It's not something that is forced upon people. And it's a product of the everyone gets a trophy mentality, right? Because then you think you are owed things. You are entitled to nothing. And we need to tell people this. You get what you earn. And sometimes you don't even get what you work for. Right? Sometimes you work your ass off and have very little to show for it. But it is what it is. This, I expect, I'm entitled, I deserve, it's all nonsense. And it's this mindset that they've put into people. And they go back to Yuri Bezmenov. This is a, a planned destruction of America from the inside out. And this is one of the programs that does it. And this is why DEI programs fail. Not enough resources, assuming it is a one and done process, a lack of ex executive support and funding and constant pressure to meet numbers. Well, let's look at the real reasons. Okay. They haven't gained any uh, improvement. They're ineffective at improving workplace diversity and harmony. Okay. So a 2019 Harvard, Harvard Business Review experimental study found that bias-focused training particularly had little effect on the behavior of male or white employees who typically hold the most power within the organization. Specifically, these mandatory training programs were sometimes poorly perceived by employees to be overly controlling. This forced some employees to rebel and skirt training rules, thereby, uh, thereby making DEI program uh, somewhat counterproductive. Another common DEI strategy utilized by companies to fight bias was hiring tests. These hiring tests allowed managers to assess candidates based on their technical knowledge and qualifications instead of their socioeconomic or racial background. However, similar to employees rejected force-fed workplace rules promoting diversity, ma uh, mainly hiring managers disliked 
being told that they couldn't hire whomever they wanted. As a result, hiring tests were not enforced consistently across candidates from different backgrounds. Clearly, traditional diversity training methods have been negligible and ineffective. There you go. That's uh, Harvard Business Review. Experimental study found that they are diversity training methods have been negligible and ineffective. And I'll tell you, as someone who has to take diversity training, it is the biggest horseshit ever. It's so one way and so backwards that it just doesn't make any sense. But why do they still do it? Because there's money. Okay. In the late 1990s and early money at stake, I should say, in early 2000s, Morgan Stanley shelled out 54 million Smith, Barney, and Merrill Lynch, more than $100 million each to settle sex discrimination claims. In 2007, Morgan was back at the table facing a new class action, which cost the company $46 million. So there's a cool $100 million from Morgan Stanley. In 2013, Bank of uh, America, Merrill Lynch settled a race discrimination suit for $160 million. Cases like this brought Merrill's 15-year payout to nearly half a billion dollars okay so now what makes you have to laugh about this this is the most ironic shit ever because these are the companies that claim they are holier than thou right and they have they they hold their employees to such a high standard and you know they hold themselves to such a high standard they're the ones that are paying the biggest fines because they're always the one breaking the rules and they have the money to pay those fines. Now, that's what drives me nuts about this. Again, it's it's like the politician, right? They put the face up there like this and their enemies in front, but then behind the scenes, they're all shaking hands and they're all best friends because they're all getting rich off this. And that's what this is. It's a way to launder money around, to move it around. Data suggests that many DEI initiatives fail. Some DEI initiatives may actually compound organizational inequality. TDL's Jeffrey Toe has previously written about diversity statements often appended to the end of job postings can make people less sympathetic to employees who report discrimination. Right? You all know those employees. Right? There's no real discrimination. It's, I don't know. Other studies have found that programs like diversity training and grievance systems, i.e. making it easier to report harassment and discrimination, lead to lower percentages of women and racial minorities in leadership, the exact opposite of what they were intended for. So they're doing, exa- the, the policies are, are doing exactly counter to what they're trying to do. Again, inversion. DEI lets corporations off the hook. And this is what I was just saying before. If you've ever helped yourself to a little extra dessert because you felt like you earned it, then you can probably relate. Instituting mandatory diversity training or organizing a few pride events may give a key decision makers an excuse to feel uh, chuffed about their organization's social impact. So these people, like they, they claim that they do all these righteous things, but behind the scenes... They're the ones paying these big ass fines. Okay. They're the most corrupt out of all of them. And these are essentially a front. All right. Now, here's why DEI must die. And this is what I want to talk about. And this is what's most dangerous about DEI. Who is this harming? 
I mean, don't we want the workplace to be fair, but- No, we want the workplace to be competent. See, you're conflating fairness and equity, and those two things are completely antithetical to one another. See, fairness means everybody gets a shot. Everybody gets an opportunity to apply for whatever job they desire. See, what you think fairness means, or what you want it to mean, is that you take a select few of those people and you give them an outcome based upon the color of their skin, and that is not fair. DEI is just affirmative action rebranded, and inclusion has become a euphemism for discrimination based on the lack of melanin in your skin. I agree that your skin color can't and shouldn't disqualify you for a position that you're seeking. But if your skin color can't disqualify you, it certainly can't qualify you for that position. But that's what you're demanding, and it makes zero sense. There you go, right? You're, you're mistaking fairness with equity. And they're two very different things. Fairness is everyone gets a shot. Everyone gets an opportunity. But the most qualified will get the position. Now, DEI, like we talked about before, um, is a lot different. Because that, let me see if I have it here. Let's see, do we have this desktop? Let's get into BlackRock. What was I looking for? Uh, yes. Save it on here. I must not have saved it. Oh, well. Nope, I guess not. All right. Well, I didn't save it, but I had this whole IBM... Uh, IBM CEO caught talking about this, okay, and that they needed X amount of black management, they needed X amount of female management. Now, this is where we get into major problems, and I'll give you a couple of examples. The airline industry, okay. If we're going to start setting standards that we have to have X number of whatever, insert blank here, black or, you know, race, gender, uh, religion, sexuality. If we have to put those parameters in there, it's going to dilute the field. Because you are going to have very qualified people who are not given opportunity because they are not in one of those groups. So let me let me put it to you this way. Now think about that. So, okay, it's great. You have a gay black female pilot is not qualified to fly this plane. Do you want to fly on that flight? Or would you rather... The white male who went through the military academy has thousands of hours on there. That, you know, is that, I, I think the answer is pretty obvious, right? What about a doctor? Do you want a doctor who isn't as qualified, but they check all of those appearance related and physical characteristic qualities? I sure as hell don't. <laughs> you could give me, keep them away from me. I want the most qualified person. And that's what DEI uh, eliminates, that competition. 
because the most qualified do not advance in the DEI. It's based on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that sets parameters where you need, and it's not a, a fair representation of the population either. Okay. And different workforces have different populations, right? Firefighters are predominantly male. Okay. Kindergarten teachers are predominantly female. Is there anything wrong with that? No, if they're the most qualified to be those, I do not want a man as my kindergarten teacher if he's not qualified. I do not want a female firefighter if she's not qualified because not only does she put her life at risk in that situation, she puts others at risk as well. The teachers, you know, they're going to damage the shit out of your kid because they're not the right person to do it. And, and to base it off these characteristics is just nonsense. And that's part of the problem with this world today. It's all about feelings. And it's, it's about diversity. Diversity of characteristics, not diversity of thought. And that's where you got to remember this. That's a big part of this. They do not want diverse thinkers. They want hive mentality. Okay, so let's go on to ESG. Now, you may have heard of this. This is the environmental, social, and governance aspect of this. Now, what the hell does that mean? Okay, so when we're talking about the environment, what kind of impact does a country, a company have on the environment? This can include their, their carbon footprint, right? Um how they use toxic chemicals in their manufacturing or processing, um, their sustainability of their supply chain, you know, things like that. Your social. How does the company improve its social impact both within the company and the broader community? Social factors include everything from LGBTQ plus equality, racial diversity in both the executive suite and staff overall, and inclusion programs and hiring practices. It even looks on how a company advocates for social good in the wider world beyond its limited sphere of business. Governance. How does a company's board and management drive a positive change? And again, this is really corporate governance, okay? But they just Make it easy to just use governance. Governance includes everything from issues surrounding executives' pay to diversity in leadership, as well as how well that leadership responds and interacts with its shareholders. Okay. So things in the environmental, it's like energy usage and efficiency, your climate change strategy, right? Waste reduction, biodiversity loss, greenhouse gas emissions, your carbon footprint reduction. Social, your fair pay and living wages, equal employment opportunity, employee benefits, workplace health and safety, community engagement, responsibility, responsible supply chain partnerships, adhering to labor laws. Again, guys, these are all things that sound great. Governance, corporate governance, risk management, compliance, ethical business practice, uh, avoiding conflict of interest, accounting integrity and transparency. Okay, and again, who are the people that create 
a lot of these scams, these schemes that hurt people the most and have to pay the biggest fines. It's the corporations. So this whole ethical business practices is bullshit. These, these companies are all about profit. And it's how can we, how can we walk that fine line? And nowadays you have to go above and beyond and you're starting to see the racial diversity aspect, the LGBTQ plus equality. Right? These are social issues that should not be impacting the workplace. But this is the world we live in. Okay, so some other ones you might hear are the CSR, which is corporate social responsibility, which includes co corporate citizenship and corporate social impact functions. You'll hear greenhouse gas emissions, GHG, emissions including carbon, methane, and other gas that contribute to global warming, which we know is a scam, okay? That's just nonsense. So anytime you see climate change, you know there's no validity or, or yeah, climate change, global warming. It, there's no validity to this. It's a scam. It's a, it, it's a, <sighs> nah, I'm not even going to go there. Okay. Scope of emissions. Every company produces emissions that fall into scope one, scope two, or scope three classifications. According to greenhouse gas protocol, scope one emissions are direct emissions from owned or controlled sources. Scope two emissions are indirect emissions from the generation of purchased energy. Scope three emissions are all indirect emissions that occur in the value chain of uh, the reporting company, including both upstream and downstream emissions. All right. Now, <clears throat> are, are they going to change their practices? No, they're just going to have to find a way to include that in, in their price to their delivery. Okay. And you have these different layers right? You have your overall ESG rating, which combines your social governance and environmental scores. Now within those, the, the E, S, and the G are considered the pillar scores, right? And those are, those are calculated from what are called themes. So for environment, the themes would be climate change, ecological footprint, resource use, pollution. Okay. So you add up the scores for those, and that's your pillar score for environment. And it's a scam. It's a total scam, guys. It's all bullshit. It's another way for taxes to control for social agendas, right? To push you in a certain direction, to push towards that hive mind, right? And, and in, in theory, again, these are great things, but they're being used politically. And there's very little benefit to this and some might say it's actually in the reverse direction and you're starting to see companies ditch these things as as they get pushback like you saw with bud light like you've seen with some of these other things that push too far eventually you see that non the balance comes back okay there's a pendulum effect you can push as hard as you want one way but it's gonna come back to the middle eventually and that's what we're seeing with this nonsense okay and you're starting to see articles about it. Here's one from the Institutional Investor, Why, where ESG fails. Despite countless studies, there have been conclusive evidence that socially responsible screens deliver alpha. A better model exists, argue Harvard Business School, Luminaries, Michael Porter, George Serafim, and Mark Kramer. Okay. 
Let's listen to this video right here about ESG. Why are they pushing this? Oops, sorry. Why are they pushing this? So it's BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, Invesco, you go down the list, but it's like an ESG cartel in this country. So what happens is the largest asset managers in the world, just take the three biggest ones, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. They're using 20 plus trillion dollars of our money. And when I say our money, it literally means our money, most people's money without them knowing it. Because these three firms are the largest really relevant shareholders that vote shares at Microsoft and Apple, at Disney and Paramount Pictures, at Pepsi and Coca-Cola. You go down the list, you're taught that you have a free market economy. Well, when both sides of the competition are effectively controlled by the same set of actors, that's not competition. So now back to your question, why are they doing it? To BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard are institutions like CalPERS, pension funds, the California State Pension Fund or the New York State Pension Fund. And what those government actors have said, these are government actors now, is to say that we won't let you manage the money of this pension fund, but that you don't get to manage our money as BlackRock unless you adopt these racial and gender ideologies and that you vote shares accordingly. Oh, and that's not just with California's money, unless you do it with all of the money that you manage. You see, it's it's a scam. It's a scheme. It's It's nonsense. It's all a play. And it's going to fall apart. And it already is. Okay. It's a set of, you know, we looked at that. The sustainable investing movement gained more momentum with the founding of the Carbon Disclosure Project in 2000. So that's around when this, you know, started gaining some headway. All right. Two years later, a group of 35 institutional investors requested climate disclosures from 500 large companies. Okay, so by 2004, uh, ESG was popularized by Who Cares Wins, a group of 18 banks and investment firms that organized by the United Nations. Okay, guys, do you see, and you're going to see a common thread here, there's either the UN or there's banking tied to all of this. The report offered recommendations on how to better incorporate ESG issues into asset management, brokerage services, and related research activities. It was followed a year later by the so-called Freshfields Report, another UN-backed document that was prepared by the London-based law firm Freshfields Bruckhouse Derringer and outlined the legal framework for integrating ESG criteria into investment decisions. Now let's let's see. Does that raise a red flag with anyone? Anytime the United Nations is involved, it should it should set off fire alarms in your brain. Because that is the they are Satan's army right now. Right? They are the stormtroopers for the parasites. They are pushing an agenda that does not benefit humanity. We know that. They never have, never will. It's the exact opposite. They're the old, you know, we're here to help and you should run like hell. You see those baby blue helmets, get the fuck out because hell is coming. They rape, they pillage, they kill, they murder. They're, 
they're savages. They just destroy people's lives instead of helping them. The UN then asked another group of institutional investors to develop the Principles for Responsible Investment, a set of six ESG investing principles that was published in 2006, and countries to be promoted by the PRI Association. You see, this is how they control people. This is even how they control nations. The evolution and growth of ESG investing picked up pace from there with the formation of more ESG reporting initiatives including the Climate Disclosure Standards Board in 2007, the Sustainability and Accounting Standards Board in 2011, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures in 2015, and the Workplace or Workforce Disclosure Initiative in 2016. In less than 20 years, the ESG movement has grown from a corporate social responsibility initiative launched by the UN into a global phenomenon representing more than 30 trillion in assets under management. 30 trillion dollars. Trillion. That, that, guys, do you see the money that's at play here? In 2019 alone, to, uh, capital totaling 17.67 billion flowed into ESG linked products, almost a 525% increase from uh, four years earlier in 2015. According to Morningstar, ESG investment funds in the United States saw capital inflows of $3.1 billion in 2022, while non-ESG investments saw capital outflows of $370 billion during the stock market decline that year. The informal group of financial leaders, city lawyers, and environmental stewardship NGOs became known as the Virtuous Circle. And its brief was to examine the nature and of the correlation between environmental and social standards and financial performance. How come, and, and what this should say to you is they're looking for, okay, how can we squeeze them some more? What can we do to tighten the noose a little bit more and milk a little bit more out of them? What rules can we make them live by, but not us? Do you see it now? It should start to make sense. Okay, so let's, here's their pros to it, right? Uh, investment returns and sustainability can mix. Sustainability funds can achieve similar or better returns compared to traditional funds. Okay, so ESG can attract new customers for additional growth. Consumers and business customers who factor ESG considerations into their buying decisions are likely to seek out products and services provided by companies that are focused on ESG. Yeah, those good companies. ESG investing pushes companies to make other positive investment decisions. Organizations with ESG initiatives tend to focus on a wide range of environmental issues and ethical practices. This is bullshit. For example, ESG aligns with the triple bottom line, a sustainability-focused accounting framework that companies use to measure their overall economic value they create uh, and their social and environmental impact. This is nonsense, guys. Look at these big companies. They're all doing this stuff to gain brownie points. That's all it is. They're going to do whatever it takes 
to jack up that bottom line. Okay? Whatever it takes. They don't care. This is just window decoration. Okay? ESG helps companies attract and retain high-quality employees. That's not true. It can boost employee motivation and increase overall productivity by giving workers a sense of purpose. That's nonsense. ESG can cut costs. When ESG practices are incorporated into the fabric of an organization, operating expenses, energy bills, and other costs can be reduced over time. How? How? I find that hard to believe. ESG in every job that I've been in has driven up the costs. So I don't buy that one either. The potential cons of ESG. ESG doesn't follow one size fits all approach. The ESG approach that works for one company might not work for another, which complicates both ESG initiatives and investing. Okay. And that's the problem. They they set these guidelines for everyone and they don't work for everyone. Like I said before, there are certain industries that are specific. You do not want a weak woman as your firefighter. I don't want a weak man as my firefighter. I want you to pass the test, the standard, the high standard that was set. And what do we see now? Because of these ESG, because of what, you know, people seeing behind the curtain, whether it's with the military, whether it's with big corporations, they're seeing that these entities are not what they were presented to us as. And they do have a dark side. So they're having a tough time getting these people. So what are they doing? They're lowering their standards under the guise of DEI or ESG. Okay. They just lower their standards. ESG strategies aren't authentic, that aren't authentic can backfire. None of them are authentic. It's all bullshit, corporate pandering. Strong stock market performance isn't guaranteed, no kidding. Creating a diverse investment portfolio can be difficult, okay? Again, it's money, who cares? Detailed performance reporting across the ESG criteria can be challenging. Right, yeah, because these things aren't directly tied necessarily to financial. So again, you have to make a lot of this stuff up. But let's listen to uh, BlackRock. I think it's this is Larry Fink talking up uh, about ESG. Behaviors are going to have to change, and this is one thing we're going to, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors, and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. What we are doing internally is, if you don't achieve these levels of impact, it, your compensation could be impacted. Okay, you have to force behaviors, and if you don't force behaviors, whether it's gender or race, or just any way you want to say the composition of your team, you're going to be impacted. Force behaviors. When does that ever work out? Let's be honest. Okay. And now kind of, and that's an older clip. That's probably from 2020, 2021. But what, what's the news here? BlackRock will be laying off 600 employees, mostly from the ESG division. ESG global investments collapse by $5 trillion in just two years. So what we're seeing is it's backfiring. All right. It's not working. It's nonsense. 
says right here, BlackRock ditches ESG shareholder proposals as public pressure grows. There's an article here that says, why is big capital ditching the ESG agenda? The environmental, social, and governance agenda once had the staunch backing of billionaires, but now corporations are backtracking. Okay. And even Elon Musk said in his tweet, ESG is the devil. Okay. It's just something that just will not work. Um, again, and, and, and they use it politically too, right? They use this as a tool. Again, it's a tool to what? You just heard it from Larry Fink, force behaviors. That's all this is all about. All of these things are about forcing behaviors. Okay, so there's your ESG. That one, man, and everybody sees this. Okay, this is one that comes across everyone, anybody that works a job in a, in a bigger corporation, you're going to see this stuff and you're going to hear about this stuff and you're going to see the training that doesn't work. You're going to see them try and do stuff or, you know, I, I work for a big company and um, in the business that we do, you know, we have to deal with certain, you know, government agencies and OSHA and things like that and have to uphold certain standards. And they've, they tried pushing the ESG and, and it's just not working. It's not, they're, they're realizing that these goals are just nonsense they're just it's a game of bored people now if they were really serious about it and in these companies were real and and you know like big pharma was really serious about providing um medicines that helped people and weren't worried about profits this could be good if these companies really cared about the environment and didn't just you know that is what it is. And if we don't meet the standard, we'll just pay to get whatever we have to get fixed. And that's what they do. These guys are great at signing a check. Now, we just saw that this agenda right here from the ESG came from the great minds of the United Nations. Well, buckle up because we are about to take a bumpy ride through SDG which is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, also known as the UN Agenda 2030. So these are the goals. And again, guys, when you look at this, if, if it wasn't the UN running this and it was a reputable organization, you would say, this is, this is brilliant. These are, these are great. Let's do it. But you know that the UN the World Economic Forum, that the World Health Organization, they're out for themselves. They're out for profits. They're out for control. They're out to force behaviors. Okay? That's what this gets back to. So what are the 17 goals set in place? One, no poverty. Great. Two, zero hunger. Awesome. I'm in. Good health and well-being. Definitely in. Quality education, sign me up. Gender equality, sure. Clean water and sanitation, can't argue there. Affordable and clean energy, yeah. 
decent work and economic growth, yeah, let's go. Industry innovation and infrastructure, bang, this is this is sounding great. Reduced inequalities, yeah, I want everyone to have um, equal opportunity. Sustainable cities and communities, uh, I like the community side. I'm not a fan of cities, so I'm I'm half in on that. Responsible consumption and production. Sounds great. Climate action. Yeah, there's that word. I'm a little suspect on that. Life below water. Hey, all for protecting the seas. Life on land. All for protecting peace, justice, and strong institutions. What could go wrong there? Partnerships or the goals. I like it. Okay, those are the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. All great. The only problem is they create poverty. They create hunger. All of these could be solved by the UN in a matter of minutes if they really wanted to. Good health and well-being, they poison our skies, they poison our water, they poison our food. Our medicine is garbage. They're pharmaceuticals. Quality education, we're in the Rockefeller education system, which is nonsense. Gender equality, all right, but let's get out of this nonsense about the pluses and the minuses and the R's and D, you know, whatever. No. I want I want character over any of this stuff. Stop. Clean water and sanitation, yes. All right. Affordable and clean energy, yes. But the problem is these ener- our energy costs are going up. And then they're pushing this this green energy idea, which first of all is not sustainable. They don't have the infrastructure to do it. They will not have the infrastructure to do it. Yet they are going towards at a course towards the goal that is destined to fail, leading us. Okay, so let's listen a little bit about SDG from both sides. We have someone who's a little skeptical and someone who is really promoting it. Have you heard of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development? It is a global framework that lays out 17 sustainable development goals we should aim to achieve by 2030 if we want a sustainable future. It was universally adopted by all 193 member states in 2015. And let's be real, it is very rare for all countries to agree on anything, so it was kind of a big deal. But unfortunately, momentum has slowed. 2023 marks the midpoint from when we adopted the goals to when we're set to achieve them. And we are not performing well. While the SDGs have raised overall awareness of sustainability and have created a common language for governments, business, and civil society, there has been very little overall progress. Follow for more information on the SDGs and tidbits about how we're doing on achieving them. All right, here we go. We have to achieve the SDGs in 10 years. I'm going to talk about that, but with a quick introduction to the Better Than Cash Alliance. We're hosted by the United Nations, and we are an alliance of governments and companies and international organizations that are each committed, each has to commit before they join the alliance to moving away from cash to some form of digital option. We've got to solve this problem, and we have to solve it because we care about achieving the sustainable development goals. Did you know that every single government in the world has committed to these? Every single government to agree to these. The government of Norway, the government of Australia, the 
government of Ethiopia, the government of Rwanda. And the timeline is 10 years from now. Okay. So that should scare the shit out of you. Every government and every major corporation is on board. That's a scary thought. No one thinks this might be a bad idea where we're going with this. No one. Everyone thinks this is just the the cat's ass, you know? Uh, I don't know. And and guys, I'm going to put a bunch of links in there because, um, let's see, one of the ones in there is, oh, I meant to show you this for SDG, uh, ESG, I mean. Uh, there's this article from 2005 from the Finance Institute, Innovating Finance for Sustainability. I'll put that in the, in the show notes. Uh, but then... They come out with these reports, these sustainable SDG goals, you know, or SDG report every year. And uh, the 2023 edition I'll post out there to kind of show you where we are um, as far as uh, making progress. Like she said, we're about ha- we're more than halfway through. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like uh, they're not doing so well. So let's look at here at the five keys for urgent action, according to the United Nations. Heads of state and government should recommit to seven years of accelerated, sustained, and transformative action, both nationally and internationally, to deliver the promises of SDG. Governments should advance concrete, integrated, and targeted policies and actions to eradicate poverty, reduce inequality, and end the war on nature with the focus of advancing the rights of women and girls and empowering the most vulnerable. Governments should strengthen national and subnational capacity, accountability, and public institutions to deliver accelerated programs or progress towards achieving SDGs. The international community should recommit the SDG, at the SDG summit to deliver on the Addis uh, Ababa action agenda and mobilize the resources and investment needed for uh, developing countries to achieve SDGs. Guys, first world countries aren't going to be able to achieve SDGs. How are third and, and developing countries going to be able to? Member states should facilitate the continued strengthening of the United Nations development system and boost capacity of the multilateral system to tackle emerging challenges and address uh, SDG-related gaps and weaknesses in the international architecture that have emerged since 2015. So what they're saying is, guys, UN needs more power. You guys need to start getting on board and, and, and really buckling down on this because we're serious and this is what where we're going with this. Get on board now. Okay. And and read through it. It's a really interesting document. I'm not going to go through it because uh, some of it's really boring. But you can see where we are versus uh, how far away we are from some of the targets. And guys, we're not even close in a lot of these. It's it's nonsense. You're never gonna you're never gonna be close. Um yeah. It's it's just so let's look at this in 2015. Like we said, the UN provided a policy framework for global action. Okay, in July of 2022, though, the UN 
are resolved to free the human race from the tyranny of poverty and want to heal and secure the planet. So they want to remove you the tyranny of poverty and get you into a social credit score, CBDC maybe. Maybe they can control you digitally. That's what they're looking for. So here's what the UN says. We are determined to take the bold and transformative steps, which are urgently needed to shift the world onto a sustainable and resilient path. As we embark on this collective journey, we pledge that no one will be left behind. The 17 sustainable development goals and 169 targets, which we are announcing today, demonstrate the scale and ambition of this new universal agenda. They seek to build on the Millennium Development Goals and complete what these did not achieve. They seek to realize the human rights of all and to achieve gender equality and empowerment of all women and girls. They are integrated and indivisible and balance the three dimensions of sustainable development, the economic, social, and environmental. As the United Nations celebrated its 70 years, the General Assembly in September 15th declared, uh, dedicated three days to the adoption of the new uh, development agenda entitled Transforming Our World, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. The goals and targets, uh, goals and targets will stimulate action over the next 15 years in areas of critical importance of humanity over the planet. So that was their 2015 goal okay so now here's where they are in 2020 this is probably late 23 or this was january of 24 let's listen up from the un oh actually this is 2023 that we have only seven years left before 2030 they want and deserve full reassurance that we altogether recognize the circumstantial setbacks that so many have experienced and continue to endure and that we stand ready to support them in their time of acute need and most importantly that we see the heightened sense of urgency and we are all prepared as world leaders gather here today to raise our ambition and recommit to meaningfully delivering the 2030 Agenda and its 17 SDGs. With that in mind, I challenge you all to demonstrate emboldened leadership by using this summit to announce groundbreaking commitments to support and to complete the 2030 Agenda. I call for your support to the political declaration negotiations for which were skillfully led by Qatar and Ireland, to whom I extend my grateful thanks and that of the membership. All right, you get the point. He wants to accelerate because they've fallen behind. They're not meeting their goals. Again, they set these unrealistic objectives and then they force us to go there. Now, there's five things that these... Um, SDGs go after the people. Okay. So it says we are determined to end poverty and hunger in all their forms and dimensions and to ensure that all human beings can fulfill their potential in dignity and equality in a healthy environment. Planet. We are determined to protect the planet from degradation, including through sustainable consumption and production. 
sustainability management and its natural resources and taking urgent action on climate change so that it can support the needs of the present and future generations. Prosperity, we are determined to ensure that all human beings can enjoy prosperous and fulfilling lives and the that economic, social, and technological progress occurs in harmony with nature. That's not what they're doing. They're doing the exact opposite. They want to push transhumanism, which is the merging of man and machine. Peace. We are determined to foster peaceful, just, and inclusive societies, which are free from fear and violence. There can be no sustainable development without peace and no peace without sustainable development. Well, that's horseshit. They don't want peace. They want a peace. They, they push for peace. They want war. They want chaos. We're determined to mobilize the means required. Oh, this is partnership, by the way, to implement the agenda through a revitalized global partnership for sustainable development based on a spirit of strengthened global solidarity focused in particular on the needs of the poorest and most vulnerable and with participation of all countries, all stakeholders and all people. You know, I just want to sing We Are the World right now. You know, it's giving me this real global feel, the global tingles right now. I, it's just nonsense, all of it. It's, again, inversion. And and so let's look at this video here. I found this interesting video on TikTok talking about Agenda 21, which is also ties in a little with Agenda 2030. They're all UN, Johns Hopkins, nonsense this is the 2030 agenda people place planet prosperity in partnership a world in collaboration for sustainable development they are readjusting remaking rebuilding economics the environment and society conscious purchasing sustainable development of land use food and water electricity they want to ration us telling you how much water you can use how much food you can buy and how much electricity you can use Let's talk about police, hospitals, schools, and stores. We don't need police for security. They're trying to make a space force. We are limited on this earth and they're trying to limit the skies and limit the oceans. We don't need police for security because they're doing a horrible job. We don't need hospitals because they can't even heal us. Schools are not even educating us. They're teaching us lies and the stores are feeding us fake GMO foods. Nature will feed us, teach us, heal us, and protect us. The 17 sustainable development goals all need to be achieved by all nations by the end of 2030. All households everywhere will have access to clean water and sustainable energy, health, sanitation, education, and basic nutrition. This is bugs in a nutrition bar. Companies across all countries will provide jobs for all. They will all invest in sustainable societies and environments. Cities everywhere will be safe, resilient, and inclusive and provide decent housing and jobs for all. Move to carbon neutrality and preserve oceans and create biodiversity laws. It sounds good on the outside, but we all know jobs is gonna be forcing us to work digital platform labor. What we are up against, being labeled on a permanent distributed ledger that shapes how you function in society and the environment. They're saying it costs too much to house an incarcerated person, so they're gonna dial back on the prison population. In terms of an open air prison, they will e-carcerate you with your digital ID. They will lock your smart door in your smart home, so you can't go anywhere. And if you do leave your house, they're gonna freeze your bank account and not allow you to access other buildings. Can't leave your home, and if you do leave your home, you can't access anything. You can't buy anything, you can't go in any building, you can't take a Uber, nothing. 
Instead of carceration, it's e-carceration. Now homes become prisons because you can lock somebody in their house and not let them out. The whole city is an open air prison. This is what I'm trying to warn you guys about. Everyone says digital currency is good. We can get rich. Even if you become a millionaire within a week, they'll become trillionaires overnight. They're just typing zeros and ones in their bank accounts. And this smart city, this technological way of living is not liberating humans. It is e-carceration. They can control everywhere you go, everything you do. They are gathering your thoughts. This is complete control, resource management, and population management. Us to work from home and give us universal basic income, which is guaranteed or passive income. Conditional cash transfer is that cash transactions are only allowed under certain conditions. You must play their game. Tokenomics, freedom tokens, and tokenized incentives to accomplish goals, behavioral compliance and mobility restriction. Credits are given for sharing browser history. So this is legitimizing ongoing surveillance and data harvesting, saying that you can own your data and sell it for money, and they give you a reimbursed token every time you use their websites or apps. Look at this. Our tax dollars paid for the vaccines and scientific research, then laws were made that gave companies immunity, which means we can't sue them if anyone's harmed from their product. They were also laws that reduced the company's taxes so that these companies can keep our money. The rich have become even more rich while misery and poverty has increased during the pandemic. Elon Musk went from $28 billion in 2020 to $300 billion in 2022. The elites don't need money, they use money. It's a fictional wealth game. Just like they don't care about humans as innocent beings, they care about humans as data and as tools to further manifest their technocratic dystopia and energy regime. Aristotle said that money is a product of law, not of nature. The government governs the mentality of those who cannot govern their own minds. The government will advance, improve, and upgrade not only control of your mental state, but your physical body and even harvesting your soul energy. They All right. It, it, he goes on in there, but I feel like we got we got the point. I mean, he brings up some great points, and that's what this is pushing us to. They want to ration everything. They want to limit the amount of food you can consume. They want to limit your travel. I mean, li listen to Yuval Harari. He said that there should be no non-essential travel. We don't have the right to travel anywhere. That we should be stuck where we are. That humans don't have rights at all. Go listen to these parasites, people. This Yuval Harari is one of the most dangerous people in the world, what he's saying. And people just go with it. Eh, okay. Mixing man and machine. Dangerous shit. You know, and, and with this rationing, rationing your food, your travel, your electricity, your ability to buy... And that's going to lead us right into our next um, acronym, the CBDC, right? And that's the last step to tyranny right there. And he, he, he does a good job in this video talking about how, you know, schools don't educate, hospitals don't heal, police don't protect nowadays. So what kind of system do they have set up? It doesn't sound like it benefits us at all. It sounds like a broken system, honestly, that needs to be fixed. And these goals are not going to get us in that direction. They're not things that fix the larger issues of society. And that's what you need to understand.
It's nonsense. It's a distraction. It's a way to what? What did Larry Fink say before? Force behaviors. Okay, because what happens when you get into their digital system? He said it right there. You become e-carcerated. Get familiar with that term. Because if we get to central bank digital currency, you know what's coming coming next, which is the social credit score. And if you don't think that that's possible, go look into, I think it was 2021 when the FBI bought 5,000 copies of Babel X, which is basically a software that can go in and search everything, pull everything about you on the internet dark web everywhere instantly 5,000 licenses the FBI bought for that in 2021 they say homes he says homes will become prisons they'll be able to freeze your bank accounts you'll be in an open air prison right essentially if, if they can limit the food you consume your travel the electricity you use that doesn't sound like living to me. That does sound like an open-air prison. You may not be locked behind bars, but you certainly are confined. Then they want you to get on this UBI, right? The universal basic income. Everybody gets, it sucks off the teat of the government. It's the tokenomics idea that he mentions, you know? you're If you're good... Good Samaritan, and you talk well about the government, you'll get a few more tokens. If not, oh, we're going to start taking points away pretty soon. You can't do certain things. You can't buy at certain businesses. You can't trade with certain people. Okay? Because why? What do they see humans as? Data and tools. We're not beings to them, folks. I hate to break it to you. We are not human beings to these people. We are less than. We are data and a source of data and a, a tool for them to use. Okay. I'm going to open this. Uh, let's see. Did I open Yeah, okay. So there's this, uh, and I'll put the link in the show notes to this. This is, uh, it goes through the SDGs, okay, and it kind of breaks them down. Um, it's from Gavi, and uh, pretty good article, you know. Um, but I'm not going to go through it all right now. It's just, it's too much. But let's look at this again, Okay. People will suffer more if professionals delude themselves about sustainable development. A letter to the United Nations. Okay. The framework is a positive development for humanity and the planet overall in theory, right? Like we talked about. It does not mean there aren't some problems and contradictions that need to be addressed. So there was a letter that was signed by a hundred scientists teachers and experts who argue that SDGs are a failure and, an, and a nature article that looks at the political impact of SDGs or lack thereof. Taken together, these publications force us to confront some uncomfortable truths about the goal's helpfulness uh, and achievability. 
Okay, so there's one that people, yeah, that's what I just said, people will suffer more if professionals delude themselves about sustainable development, a letter to the UN. Okay, on May 23rd, alongside a conference in Bali uh, on disaster risk reduction, 100 academics from 37 countries published a letter. People will suffer more if professionals delude themselves about sustainable development, a letter to the UN. As you can tell by the title, the letter is extremely critical of SDGs. It calls for a urgent refocusing of international aid and cooperation and states that failure to meet SDGs is an indication of a systemic problem. The authors of the letter critique capitalism and economic growth and say that the assumptions underpin the SDGs are invalid, right? These are built on false pretenses. They argue that the SDGs are a failure because they are based on capitalism, which requires economic growth to lift the people out of poverty. They also state that little progress has been made and in some cases even regressed. So that's what's happening here, guys. It's unnatural. They ask the UN to drop the redundant and unhelpful ideology of sustainable development and instead enable communities to become more resilient locally. They also call for more localized trade and energy production alongside equitable degrowth of wealthy economies. So a little bit of sharing, revenue sharing type thing. They do it in sports. Why can't they do it in the world? Okay, and here's the uh, Nature article. So on June 20th, 2022, an article was published in Nature called Scientific Evidence uh, of the Political Impact of SDGs. This piece was specifically looked at uh, looking at if the SDGs have actually led to transformative political change. The article is a result of analysis of over 3,000 scientific studies published between January 2016 and April 2021. So virtually the entire period we have been implementing SDGs. The high-level findings of this article are the SDGs have some political impact on institutions and policies. However, the impact has been largely discursive affecting the way actors understand and communicate about sustainable development. But more profound normative uh, and institutional impact from legislative action and changing the resource allocation remains rare. So it's doing nothing, is what they're saying. In other words, SDGs have provided a common language and understanding so people know what they have to do, but they're not doing anything. Done very little in terms of changing behavior or decision-making. They're, they're not following these guidelines. They're, they're going with the bottom line, right? Where is the money going? They still have to. And that's the problem with the system that we have set up. It's all based on profits. And they have these companies have to continue to grow. Their profits have to continue to grow quarter over quarter, or it's a failure. How is that? They have no incentive other than profit. So the scientific study or evidence suggests only limited transformative uh, political impact of the SDGs thus far. The article does recognize that the SDGs are the most comprehensive and detailed attempt by the UN to advance sustainable development. But what is so interesting is that the evidence to date shows that because the goals are non-legally binding and tend to be quite broad, they provide a lot leeway for actors to interpret the goals and act accordingly in their own interests. Many actors simply cherry pick the goals that are most convenient or 
that they are already pursuing before. So what we're seeing is a very selective implementation. That's not surprising. The authors go as far as to say both Global South and Global North largely prioritize more socioeconomic SDGs over the environmentally oriented ones, which is in alignment with their longstanding national development policies. This really resonates. Um, basically, uh, start with the easiest first and put the others off all the others indefinitely. But no one can claim you aren't acting because you're working on some of them, right? Like that's that's the game they play with this. There's some bright spots. The paper does find that cities have been more pioneering and progressive than national governments and that the SDGs have been effective in getting corporations interested in participating. Just interested, not to participate. They, they, they'll listen. But this approach should be cautioned as there's a high risk of SDG washing. Like whitewashing. They're just saying they're doing it. They're not doing shit. The article also assessed the realism of having such a huge and all-encompassing framework. That's part of this. It's too burdensome. It's it, it, 17 goals. Come on. Come on. Five, maybe. 10 tops. 17. That It's just, it's so ridiculous. They're trying to, again, worse behaviors. How do you do this? You set up more rules. It's the problem with the United States today. More rules, more legislation. That's how we think we're going to get out of stuff. We're going to legislate our way out. No. It starts from the ground up. There has to be incentive for the people to do this. This is just a corporate, this is corporate nonsense when you look at it. Okay. Um, here's another article. Uh, that says the authors state that internationally there is no evidence that the adoption of the SDGs has advanced the position of the world's most vulnerable countries in global governance and economy and study and that studies doubt whether the SDGs will ever be able to transform legal frameworks towards increased political participation of these countries. On the positive, the literature suggests that civil society uh, organizations use the SDGs as a reference framework to hold governments accountable which points to the advantages of granting larger roles to the civil society organizations in shaping and implementing policy initiatives such as SDGs. It's, it's fantasy. It's nice fantasy, but it's not going to work. Not going to happen. And similar to the first letter, the article also raised some concerns about capitalism, consumption, and economic growth. The authors found that, Quote, there are indications that the lack of ambition and coherence results partially from the design of the SDGs. For example, global economic growth is envisaged in SDG 8 might be incompatible with some environmental protection targets in SDG 6, 13, and 14, and 15. And that certain studies also argue that the focus of the SDGs on neoliberal sustainable development is detrimental to planetary integrity and justice, right? This is that whole neoliberal mindset. It's poison, guys. It is toxic. It is fascism, socialism, communism all rolled up into one. It's dangerous, okay? And, and, you know, I just said here, it is, you know, the, the, the agenda is altruistic, 
right? It has good intentions. It has a good framework. There's just, it's nonsense. 17 goals. Come on. And that's, you know, you can, you can selectively implement and say that you're still doing it. All right. And there's no way we're going to come close to achieving these goals by 2030. Okay. And I don't think we could do it by 2050, to be honest. I don't think it's plausible. I think it's just, again, another pipe dream, a paper setup. All right. So that leads us to our last acronym, the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency. Now, sounds right off the bat, raises a red flag, because anytime I hear central bank, I want nothing to do with it. That just seems fraudulent. It seems scammy. It seems dirty. All right. So what is a CBDC? It's a digital form of central bank money that is widely available, available to the general public. Central bank money refers to money that is a liability of the central bank. In the United States, there are currently two types of central bank money, physical currency issued by the Federal Reserve and digital balances held by commercial banks at the Federal Reserve. While Americans have long held money predominantly in digital form, for example, bank accounts, payment apps, and through online transactions, a CBDC would differ from existing digital money available to the general public because a CBDC would be a liability of the Federal Reserve, not a commercial bank. I, I don't see any perk to that. Okay, and you look at the little chart right here and you have the central bank, your money comes out in real money, it goes to the bank, the bank promises and services, and then it comes to the end user. On the other side, you have the bank and then it goes to real money, but that's the CBDC. And that kind of goes from the bank through services to you. You never get anything in your hand. And there's a lot of problems with this. But let's listen to them. This is the World Government Summit. Are we ready for a new world order? Okay. Always pushing this new financial system. What underpins a world order is always the financial system. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having a almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. Well, there you have it. The Chinese started it. The Americans instituted it in 2023, July, I believe. And uh, Europeans are next. Can't be good, guys. The main goal of CBDC is to provide businesses and consumers with privacy. 
transferability, convenience, accessibility, and financial security. CBDCs could also decrease the cost of maintenance that a complex financial system requires, reduce cross-border transaction costs, and provide those who currently use alternative money transfer methods with lower cost options. A CBDC also provides a country's central bank with the means to implement monetary policies to ensure stability, control growth, and influence inflation. All right, they have all those policies today and they don't do a very good job at it. They just keep printing more money because then we owe them more and we will never be able to pay back the debt that we have to the central banks and the Federal Reserve. So anything that we can do to get rid of the Federal Reserve and keep our money away from it, we are going to be better off. All right. You have to understand this. You do not want your money in a CBDC. Okay. The Federal Reserve has identified as critical requirements a CBDC meets as well as matters that needed to be addressed before one can be designed and implemented. So you have to have free of uh, from credit and liquidity risk. You have to lower cross-border payment costs. You, uh, It can support the international role of the dollar, which dollar's dying, guys. Hate to break it to you. Aims for financial inclusion. Expands the access to the general public, right? Gives more people access. This is what they're saying. Okay, this is how they're selling it to you. Issues from financial structure changes, financial system stability, there's an issue with that, right? Monetary policy influence. It's all in the hands of one, guys. Never want that. Privacy and protection and cybersecurity. Those are all major issues with having your money in CBDCs. It says, while CBDC would not offer any unique benefits to Americans, it could spell doom for what little financial privacy protections remain. Why do you say that? Well, let's listen to this guy first. And then she, this woman here, um, I believe her name's Ms. Lang. She will uh, expose this scheme. From 2030, the United Kingdom will introduce central digital introductory currency. central bank digital currency. They're recruiting staff at the moment. 100 world governments are now heading towards CBDCs. If we have CBDCs in a cashless digitized society. Our spending can be controlled. What we choose to spend money on can be controlled. Where we spend it, how we spend how it, we spend when it. we spend and it. And it's already happening. It's already happening. You guys might remember a certain trucker protest in Canada. How they froze bank accounts. It would be infinitely easier on a central bank digital currency to control how, when, where, and how much of your own money you can spend. That's the scary part. All right, now let's listen to, and again, I apologize. I, I can't remember her name offhand. Thank you so much for that wonderful client that sent this in. What I'm about to show you is how Central banks and governments change financial regimes without you realizing it. Going on their website, what does it say? What won't change? Account numbers checked, direct deposit. Really, these are all the services that you're using. Nothing's changing. 
let's look at what will change. Some account features and your online experience. If you want to know more details, please refer to the important topics. Most people are busy. Most people are going, well, the things that matter to me, those aren't changing. No big deal. And so you agree to it because you don't know what's going on. They certainly did it in 1913, the 1940s at Bretton Woods. In 1971, when you step back and you look at this whole spider web, you know you're getting caught. It's not good, guys. Right? They, they act like this is not going to be a major change. It's going to be a major change to the financial system. You do not want a cashless society. Okay. And there's some great articles out there. Uh, we'll get into a little bit here, but I, I'm not going to, I'll attach the links, but the Cato organization, okay, C-A-T-O, they have some great articles on the risks of CB, CBDCs. Uh, introducing CBDC would be a catastrophe to the banking system. And then there's another article from Engrave. What is a CBDC? Should we be scared? Okay. And those are all great references on this CBDC stuff. And, you know, how it works, it's, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get into the details of it, but there's different varieties, you know there's three ways that it can work. Um, there's a good, there's a bad, and there's an ugly side to all of it. The good is, you know, it can be easier and cheaper to do some banking. Um, they, they, they think this is a benefit. It can simplify the process of tax payments. Obviously they have a much easier way of tracking and collecting taxes. And the transparency may cut down on tax evasion, right? Two out of the three goods are taxes. Do taxes benefit us? No, it's them stealing money from us. So right there, their two of their good about CBDC are bad for us. That should tell you all you need to know. The bad, sanctioned CBDC wallets are censored and can be controlled by the central bank imposing taxes, bail-ins, and sanctions. And we haven't even gotten to bail-ins yet. That's a whole nother concept. And the ugly. CBDCs, stable coins, and cryptocurrencies are likely to be key features of the growing currency wars between the world's major powers competing to become the dominant digital currency. And cyber attacks, right? EMP, everything's gone. Okay, and this is, that's her. Her name is Lynette Zhang, the woman we listened to before. She's of ITM Trading, Okay. Listen to this speech she gives on CBDCs. What could the future look like with CBDCs? And do you think that would affect people's retirement or retirement? 100%. You know, what a CBDC does, and, and the Fed has even admitted it in the IM International Monetary Fund, the IMF papers that they've written, is... See, right now, when they make a policy, it takes roughly 12 to 18 months to flow through the system. Did they get what they want? So we're really starting to feel the impact of the rapid rates um, that the Fed did 12, 18 months ago, right? 
So this way, once they have the CBDC, then they can have their finger on that policy button 24-7, which is what they've said, so that if they want the consumer to go out and consume and you're not consuming, what are they going to do? They're going to drop us into negative rates more deeply so that you're sitting there watching your principal evaporate. And when you're sitting there watching your principal evaporate, what are you most likely to do? But once it's in CBDC form, they can dictate what you can buy with it, how long it even exists, which you're going to see that. At first, they're not going to shock you with anything because they want to lull you into a false sense of security to get you to use it. And they, they've talked many times about this. Um, so at first, it's going to seem kind of normal, like people are used to credit cards, They're, most people are used to credit cards and debit cards and all of that. So, and, and of course they've heard all about the cryptocurrencies and we see what's happening in that arena. And remember recently, the, I can't remember whether it was the biz or the IMF, but they came out with a paper, basically private cryptocurrencies, bad, central bank cryptocurrencies, good. So they're trying to get you lulled into a false sense of security. And then once they have you there, and let's say that a lot of the population does make that deposit into that FedNow and CBDC account, right? Um, and especially, you know, we could go into a hyperinflation on the currency that's already out there and then have the Fed controlling the value for a minute of the CBDC. So people go, oh, well, look at this is really bad, but this is staying more stable. And I think that's really what's very, very likely to happen to get you to participate voluntarily. That, frankly makes having physical gold and silver outside of that system critically important. Because if you have everything inside of their system that they have their finger on 24-7 and can dictate everything about it, they have you by the cojones, right? So, so this is why it's absolutely critical for you to be as self-sufficient and independent in, in as many ways as possible. Food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. Because the more independent you are, the less control they will have over you. And they, they are attempting this. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, I really have hope of a revolution. Ray Dalio also thinks that a revolution is coming and I, I agree with him. And because of these repeatable patterns, just like the end of the currency's life cycle. I mean, these patterns, when you know what they look like, then you know where we are in that cycle and you can get into a position to actually not just survive it, but thrive through it and come out the other side in a better position, but you better have physical gold and silver in your possession or heaven help us. All right. And those of you that don't speak Spanish, when she said they have you by the cojones, that means by the balls. And they do. And it's their system. You are at their beck and call. So um, they're using elements that might reinforce control and further erode privacy. Governments and central banks, are they're cherry picking elements of crypto, tech, 
that suit their economic and political agendas to change the way money is managed. Cryptocurrencies are delivering on the promise of new ways of exchanging value, no central authority, rule-based monetary policy, settlement finality, permissionless, borderless, and censorship resistant. And that's not what a CBDC is, okay? It's what crypto is, but not what these are being set up as. These can be heavily censored. Cryptocurrencies are built on ledgers that are transparent. Anyone with a browser can access any transaction. They are also permissionless. Anyone anywhere can participate by running a node, a censorship resistant uh, and censorship resistant. Because the node system and economic incentives discourage centralization while making it difficult for any one entity to exert control over the rule of the system. They're interested in the improvements of the blockchain ledgers provide in transferring value, but in permissioned rather than a permissionless way. Depending on the on the study you cite, about 97% of money in circulation exists simply as a record on a central bank database, with only the remaining 3% in physical form in notes and coins, which is set to further decline, right? What happened during the pandemic? There was a coin shortage. Why? People didn't stop using coins. There were, the, the coins didn't all of a sudden disappear. It's because they wanted them to go away. They wanted you to think there was a coin shortage. There was none. It was all nonsense. But it just shows that's a scary fact, though. 90%, 97% of our money is just a record on a central bank database. 3% of it is tangible notes and coins. That sounds dangerous to me. Okay, so you have the good. A properly functioning CBDC might enable a much simpler and cheaper way of providing financial benefits with the ability to support microtransactions a greater de uh, for developing economies. Equally, it could simplify the processing of... Uh, we're not getting into the taxes because that's bullshit. That doesn't help us. Helps the government. Okay, the bad. If you're using a sanctioned CBDC wallet, your balance is an entry on a ledger that isn't censorship resistant because it is permissioned by the central banks. Okay? You could... Okay, your taxes could be de deducted by default, leaving you to ha uh, having to argue any of the miscalculations in retrospect, speeding or parking fines, service fees to your local council could all be dedicated at the source without warning, right? They could just subtract it from your account. They don't need your permission. Now, this is, this is one that really does not sit well with me. It's called bail-ins. The next time there's a financial crisis, we could see bail-ins rather than bail-outs. In 2008, most governments bailed out banks by creating liquidity and taking on bad debt. The wider public paid for this indirectly through taxes and austerity. The precedent for a bail-in rescue of public finances was set by the U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt in 1933 as part of his response to the Great Depression. The United States Executive Order 6102 forbade the quote-unquote hoarding of gold coin, gold bullion, 
and certificates, gold certificates within the continental United States. In practice, it meant that the majority of privately held gold had to be sold to the government at $20.67 an ounce. The dollar was then devalued relative to gold, pushing its price to $35. Failure to comply could have landed you with a 10-year prison sentence. How insane is that? 10 years for refusing to give the government your earned gold. Okay? Surveillance money. Surveillance money. Money that cannot exist outside the knowledge of a central bank. That's cash, right? Of course, technical design alone may not be sufficient to counter concerns that public authorities, central banks, and other government institutions would use CBD systems as an instrument for state surveillance and control. It is easy to imagine how sensitive transaction data could allow authorities to track individuals and block their access to CBDC payments, right? It could be because you said something on social media they don't like. It could be because you live in a neighborhood or you have something, anything. It's random, arbitrary. It could be. It could be, hey, today we're only allowing the even numbers to buy groceries and gas, right? It's, It's possible, guys. You have to think about what they could do with this because you know they have already. CBDC would open up a Pandora's box of opportunity for governments uh, to not only analyze in great detail what we spend our money on and how often, but potentially sanction activities that it considers are harmful or against the public good. Like buying arms to defend yourself? You never know. The range of activities that might be monitored could range from food to gambling or smoking. While any funds that you may have legitimately received but are deemed to have some illegal origin could be blacklisted, knocking fungibility off the list of sound money ideals, okay? And one of the things that should be scary to everyone, they could devalue the currency at any point at their discretion, right? They can set an arbitrary date and say, um, as of... March 1st, all CBDC loses 20% of its value. So spend it now, right? Or they just say, okay, well, you know, your your CBDC coin that was worth $5 yesterday, it's worth only worth a dollar today. And there's nothing you can do about it. And then expiration or time limits, right? You heard... Uh, uh, Lynette mentioned it in there. Spend it by X date or it expires. How about that? What happens to generational wealth then? There is none. There's no way to save at that point. Okay. And then the ugly, we've talked about this. Surveillance concerns would come up against constitutional rights, but it shouldn't be dismissed as implausible because it is already happening. In January, 2021, survey by the Bank of International Settlements of 65 countries, almost 90% had conducted research into CBDCs with the People Bank of China, the furthest down the road uh, to a functioning national digital currency, the ECNY. The white paper for the ECNY makes it clear that it will initially coexist with cash, 
but the intention is clear. For a government that already controls access to information through the Great Firewall, a CBDC provides the potential to control what people do with their money. CBDCs are therefore likely to be key features of growing currency wars being fought by the world's major powers trying to compete for the dominant digital currency. Okay, now let's listen to, to these two uh, videos on the tyranny that could be follow with CBDC. So what do tyrannical governments do other than try to impose a digital currency on their citizens? People have no idea what a full-on digital currency is going to do to your lifestyle. They'll control every single thing that you can spend your money on, where the money gets spent. If you've overspent this month, if you've traveled too far, if you're buying too many sweets, if you spent too much money on beer, uh, people have no idea. We're talking about a full authoritarian communist style takeover of how your life gets run. Uh, you need to stand up against a digital currency and do whatever is, is uh, reasonably responsible in order to make sure this never happens. You need to contact every MP. You need to contact your MLAs provincially. You need to contact anybody who listen and say, we will not comply with the digital, full-on government-controlled digital currency. Now, some of you folks think a digital currency is much like using a credit card. It's not. We're talking about full government control. No more cash. They're trying to bring in a cashless society. Best way you can fight a cashless society is on a Friday, take, take a Friday and do nothing but spend cash. Use cash every place that you can. Keep that in mind if you want to stay up to date, by the way, on what's happening in the country. Uh, I've had enough. I'm going to start making these things on a routine basis. All right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I agree. We will not comply. That's what we have to do. Keep pushing back. Because as Lynette said, she thinks, you know, she has faith in the revolution that this will not come to fruition. But if we just sit on our ass, it's going to happen. Mark my words. Because it's already out there. But the full push is going to take, it's going to be a slow drip, right? It's, and if not, it's going to get ugly. So buckle up. Let's listen to what Jordan Peterson has to say. Now, again, I'm not a big Jordan Peterson fan, but he does have some good words of advice. Keep your hands off my fucking car. Yeah, you right. Frick. You think about what a car stands for. It's like radical autonomy and privacy. That's the problem too with the centralized control systems on cars now. You know, we'll help you out with your OnStar. It's like, yeah, you'll govern where I can drive. You'll govern how fast I can drive. You'll end up bloody well reporting me if I exceed 55 and destroy the planet. Oh, I really don't like those centralized control systems at all. I think they're a big mistake. Because as soon as they're put in, it's like those centralized control systems for people's home heating. Well, we'll help you save bill, save on your bill. It's the same with digital currency. It's like, we'll make a national digital currency and then we'll tax everything that you purchase that we think has a carbon load. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, you can just bloody well be sure that the behind the scenes globalists are just rubbing their hands about that. So can you imagine what would happen if the government could track everything you bought? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Imagine if the government could track everything that you bought, right? I mean, it's it's just a real scary thought. So now, guys, you've seen it here, okay? This is something that has gradually taken place, and DEI was the first in the 60s. 
right? And they they push the women in the workforce to under the guise of feminism, when in reality it was to break up the family, to go from one tax base in a household to up to three now, because not only would you have the father working, you would have the mother working. So there's two. And then if they're both working, they have to pay someone to watch their child. And that person then would become another taxable person. So it's this game they play and they do it in under the guise of altruism. All right. And I, I can't, say this enough, whenever they put something out, it's inversion. Look at the inverse of it. And that's where it's going to take you. Because all of this stuff that they're trying to do is unnatural. It's synthetic. And we know in this natural realm that synthetic doesn't work. Natural always wins. In the end, we're in a synthetic realm right now. They want everything to be fake. Your food, your water, your reality. Why do you think they're pushing this Apple vision so hard to get you into the metaverse? Because then you won't have to go anywhere. Your carbon footprint will will be eliminated in their eyes. You won't need to travel. You'll travel through your goggles. Okay, and how do they do that? It's this gradual slip here, right? They control all the corporations. And we'll get into the the ESG. Well, they talked about it here. The ESG cartel is what they called it here. They're just the, the world cartel right now. And that's BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. Those three countries own a majority or a, you know, I say a majority, but what I mean is a, a large stake in every major company. Everyone. And that's part of the problem. They're becoming like the UN and they're working in cahoots with the UN to push these agendas because they have all the money. And we'll, I'm going to do a show on BlackRock and Vanguard. I've got uh, to do a ton of clips um, of a guy who does a great breakdown of the dis- different aspects. And, and you start to see the web of control that these companies have gained. And then they go and enforce these policies. And they're they are part of the, you know, when you say, in essence, military force pushing this for these parasites. Okay? Fascism. The government and corporations work hand in hand. That's where we are. That's what this is. All of these policies right here. They're, they're not benefiting humanity they benefit the parasite class it allows them to like they said what are they trying to do right now it's their own words force behaviors 
And we have to put up a fight and say we won't comply. And how do you do that? Well, one is recognize it, right? Recognize it and refuse to comply. That's one. Two, call it out for the nonsense that it is. Because, guys, as we object to these things, they start to die. You're seeing already. ESG is failing. DEI is failing. SDG is failing. CBDC hopefully will fail. Okay, but there's going to be something next. It's not like after these things, we go through this phase, there's not going to be something after. And that's what you have to prepare for. You always have to be ready. But this is the current, these are the current items that are being pushed as an agenda against us. So recognize them. Understand what's going on. Make those around you understand what's going on and refuse to play their games. Push back. Avoid dependence on the system. That's the best way to, to get out of this stuff. Okay, because as you see here in this little political cartoon, it's just a bunch of black hats cutting up land and then building on it, right? Putting their railroads in, putting their businesses in, divvying up the land, polluting the water, polluting the skies. They don't give a shit about us. Profits, political influence, it's all they care about. And they're going to force our behaviors. They see us. Like I said, guys, we're less than. <laughs> they don't see us as human beings. We are data and tools to them to get to an end. All right. That's all I got for tonight, guys. This was a uh, a long one. But I hope you got a lot out of it. Again, you want to support the show, like, share, leave a review. You want to support the show monetarily, you can go over to patreon.com. You don't have to do it monetarily over there either. You can also uh, become a free patron member and you get some of the access to stuff. Um, and then also the merch store. You go to my Teespring shop, check that out. Uh, some good merch in there. And... Guys, what you need to do, keep your house clean, all right? Keep the area around you clean. And from there, work outwards, all right? Everybody, stay strong and question everything. But just don't forget what we're, what we're working on here is a world government. And what I'm going to need you to do is sure you can make a trillion dollars doing all these other side deals. And please do, because we're going to need the money. But don't lose sight of the fact that we're trying to create a world government here. We're going to need your help. Don't for a second confuse that George H.W. Bush, he, he was busy. He had many jobs while he was the vice president of the United States and then later president in 88 to, to 92. He 
was also running the Enterprise. And he was also working for the Rockefellers. And he was also working for the Carlyle Group and these other components. So this is all part of the family. But if you think about it, there's no difference between what Bush was doing and what Rockefeller is with his United Nations. Same ideology, ruthless psychopaths, dark energy people, secret societies, you know, skull and bones, all that stuff. There's a lot of overlap between what the Bushes were involved in, what the Rockefellers were. Bohemian Grove's role, let's not discount that. The Bush family had their own cottage there. Bush ran the CIA in the 70s. He's a made man in the intel community, 100%. Top of the food chain. No, no. These people, they controlled the FBI, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. I mean, they, they ran these agencies. These American government agencies that are put in place to protect crime, I was going to say <laughs> protect you from crime, but really they're put there to protect the criminal organized crime that runs America. But, you know, you think of the FBI as like, oh, they're out there getting the bad guys. No, they're run by the bad guys. The, dis the, the drug enforcement agency was deeply involved in running drugs. It's like, take everything and invert it. Securities and Exchange Commission was deeply involved. They knew who Bernie Madoff was. They knew who Stephen Hoffenberg and Jeffrey Epstein were. They worked with them. The people that were at the head of the SEC that could have brought charges against these people were working for the enterprise. So you don't do that. You allow it to happen. The reason why you're the head of the SEC, FBI, DEA, and ATF isn't because you're a good guy. It's because you are a proven bad guy. That's how it works. What I want to say is that the enterprise was doing all of it, and they were doing it way better than you were with your little shitty gang that you were running out of uh, wherever you are. These people were professional. These people were smart. And don't let the three-piece suit fool you. They murdered a lot of people that got in their way. They were deeply involved in drug trafficking. They were involved in oil and gas fraud. They were involved in real estate fraud. They were one of the major arms traffickers in the world. They were running savings and loan fraud in the 80s. You remember the savings and loan collapse? That was the enterprise. They were running insurance fraud. They were running securities fraud. They were running HUD fraud. Remember the HUD fraud? fraud that Catherine Austin Fitz talked about, that's the enterprise. That's who's involved in this. So I asked the question, think of it like this. Let's say you're a very rich, very powerful person with absolutely a broken moral compass. There isn't a line in the sand that you won't cross. I ask you this question, what would you do if you knew you could never get busted?